Anyways, uh, as we've been, we are in the second week of, of I'm okay in Jesus. And last week, I didn't really have a ton of time to dig into this. We spent the majority of the time kind of recasting vision for our, our one-year anniversary. And so I spent a little bit of, of, of time on the I'm. And the I'm is simply our condition, the human condition, and our fallen condition of being in sin and totally depraved. And, and so we, we talked about that. What does it actually mean to be made in the image of God? And what does it mean now that we're, we're fallen? That was my, my identity. And everything I do is tainted by sin. But I can't leave you there, right? So we get to the okay, okay part of this. And so the, the, the series is going to be I'm okay. And the next week will be in. And the next week will be Jesus after that. And I'm okay in Jesus. In other words, it's four words that simply boil down the gospel, right? What does the gospel mean? What do I need to believe? What do I have to put my faith into, whatever? And that's what we're getting at, right? What must I actually do to be saved? To ask the question that individuals ask in the New Testament uh, several times. Um, and when I was thinking about this, it reminded me of, um, <laughs> I promised uh, Pastor Steve I wouldn't use my Jeep as illustrations anymore, but it's just, it's so good, so I'm just gonna do it, okay? Um, <laughs> that, and here's what happened, okay? For, for three years, all right, this, okay, this talking about justify. This is justifiable in me saying this right now. For three years, my windows have not worked, okay? Now, that's my own fault because I chopped all the wiring so I could remove the doors, okay? So I, I get it, right? I caused it, okay? Um, it wasn't the plan. The plan was to try to fix that too, uh, and it did work for a little while, and, and then it didn't work, and, and I, not, I don't know electric... Electioneering, that's not the word I'm looking for. Uh, uh, I don't, I don't, I'm not good with that stuff. And uh, people, anytime I take my Jeep to the mechanic, they always make fun of me because there's wires everywhere uh, because I have fog lights and so and I have a switch for every fog light, but yet it doesn't make any sense, but it works, okay? That's all, and I have a fire extinguisher, so it's safe, you know, but um, it, it works out. But so yesterday I had uh, Zach Boyum. He's actually, a, a, he didn't play tonight, but he plays the bass here every once in a while, and he's got like a monster truck of a, of a Jeep, the same, same kind of Jeep I have, and so I had him come out with one of our elders, Graham, and he came out, and they, they, they're both engineers. One of them actually is an electrical engineer, and so they, we, we got my, my uh, windows working appropriately, uh, and, and in that, right, with, with their two minds of Jeep knowledge and engineering and electrical engineering and, and all these different things, right, I felt like a non-contributing zero, right? Like I, I had nothing to offer other than to sh point out all the mistakes I had made. And so, you know, hey, this is what I undid. Maybe now we need to, we need to fix this. And so that's really what justification is. That we all, in our condition as a fallen human being, show up before God as a literally non-contributing zero in this relationship with God. And he's going to show up and he's going to work miracles in our lives. And so that was last week of the I'm, I'm made in the image of God. And what does it mean to have our identity to actually be an image bearer of our creator? And this week... It's not supposed to be I'm, <laughs> I messed up, but it's okay, all right? I'm okay in Jesus. I, uh, I'm okay, and I'm justified. I'm adopted and glorified. And so we're gonna walk through some of these things, and to be honest with you, those of you uh, interns that are in here, they're taking my class. This is straight up out of, uh, out of Grudem. Uh, Gruden, I always mess it up. No, Grudem, that was right the first time. Um, and uh, this, but it's like page like 750. We're only like in 60, so we, we got a lot of time. You'll forget all this before we get there, so it's good. Um, 
But this is what, we, what, we, what theologians would call the doctrine of redemption. And so tonight, it's going to be a little bit maybe deeper in the sense of I'm going to use some bigger words, but I'm going to explain it all. Uh, and again, it's not words that I just know. I've got to look up all these things. I literally had to Google one of them. I'm like, what does that mean again? Um, and so, but just explaining. Here's, we're going to so go through this systematically, but then go through some passages that really explain not just the heady theological knowledge of this, but the heart of what should we be doing with this information. And so we're gonna walk through some of these things. The first one is justification. I think those people who, people, not those, but myself included, those of us who have grown up in the church, we, we have these words that we just kind of say, right? Gospel this, gospel that, justification, sanctification, glorification. We say these occasion things, and, and, and normal people don't talk like that, right? So, so we actually sound kind of ignorant because we don't, we don't use normal language, right? And, but so I want to talk about what does justification mean? I've been justified in front of God. And so A here, it is a legal declaration by God that we are now made righteous or justified. Righteous simply means it's a quality of being morally upright. All right, I am morally upright in who I am, but it's not by what I've done, but I'm declared by God made righteous, that my moral decisions have been justified or justifiable. In other words, the decisions that I make, every single one of them, in some way, shape, or form, I can go to the creator God and say, I was right in that decision I made. But yet we can't do that, right? Because of our, our condition of I'm, I'm in Christ. And so last week we learned that we always make the wrong choice. That everything we say, everything we do, even the things that we're passionate about and really care about, there's something about our human fallen condition that's tainted by sin. And so when I make a choice, it's wrong all the time. And I need the creator for him to declare me righteous, not on my own doing. And so now the just one, the creator God can now declare me justified. And we see this in 2 Corinthians 5. God made him, made Jesus Christ, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become righteous on our own. No, we might become the righteousness of God. It's God's quality of being morally upright. That's what we become. The second aspect of this doctrine of justification is that it includes a declaration that we are forgiven of sin and reconciled to God on the, uh, on the idea of, of non-contributing zero. This is a non-contributing zero, but it's not just a blank slate, right? I'm not just like, I, I, I could have been good if I just would have leaned the right way. You're not just a non-contributing zero, you're, you're sinful, right? You don't just bring nothing to the table, you bring bad things to the table. Uh, it actually, this morning I was downtown, my wife had the opportunity to play the violin um, and a couple of the songs this morning. And so uh, I was down there, and, 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 but they did the, the welcome question that, that we do every week. And, and the question for, that they asked there, Pastor John asked, um, uh, what is a good bargain that you've made? Like, you know, as Midwesterners, we like bargains, which is true, right? It's a thing. Uh, I grew up in Chicago. It was kind of a thing. Uh, but my, my, a couple weeks ago, I, I think it was my wife talking to her sister, and, and my sister-in-law comes to her sister, not my sister, well, comes in and she's wearing a shirt and Angel says, oh, I really like your shirt. And what does she say? This is what Minnesotans do. They, what'd she say? She said, I got this for five bucks at Target, 
right? We just love to be like proud of the fact that we, we made a bargain, right? Like, I didn't, I don't, I mean, I didn't need to know that. I guess that's kind of a cool thing, you know? But, but, but at the same time, if she would have said like, yeah, I spent 300 bucks on it, you'd be like, don't, why would you tell me that? Like, that'd be rude, right? You only tell people if it was a bargain. And so the, the gentleman that we met, he shared this story of how when he was in fifth grade, I was like, wow, that's going way back. It must've been a good bargain. He had broccoli in his lunch and he was able to trade it up for, for zebra cakes, right? Like, that's pretty good, right? That he, he wasn't just a non-contributing zero. Like, he had nasty broccoli as a fifth grader and was somehow able to get some zebra cakes. Like, that's, that was pretty impressive. That's our condition, right? We're, we're bringing bad, we're bringing the broccoli to God, and he's like, no, 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 no. No, I want you to have some zebra cakes, right? Um, and that's, but that's what, that's what happens. And so, but it doesn't just stop there, okay? He, get this, all right? And this all compiles here, okay? It's a, it's a legal declaration by God that we are now made righteous, that our decisions are justifiable, and it includes a declaration that we are forgiven of sin and now reconciled to God, that our sin has been forgiven and we can now be brought near to God. But it says it also imputes, it credits to our account Christ's righteousness, Christ, moral uprightness to us. Listen, that part, that one, that subcategory of this doctrine of justification should, should blow your mind because the creator God doesn't just say, hey, listen, I know, you, I know you brought some broccoli. I don't want it. I'll forgive you of bringing broccoli to the table. He then says, I actually want you to come and eat lunch with me. He could have said, I'm gonna forgive you of your sins, but you're not gonna eat, you're not gonna feast with me. You're not welcome in my presence anymore, right? That still would have been better than what the angels have, right? Because the angels and the fallen angels that sinned, they don't even have a chance for redemption. They don't have a chance for forgiveness. And he sends his son and he dies for us so that we can be forgiven and not just be forgiven and wallow, and, and we should. That, should stood out, that position would still cause us to worship Jesus for dying for our sins. But he doesn't do that. He lets us come into his presence and adopts us as children. That is awesome. We see this in Romans chapter five. Consequently, just as one trespass results in the condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification for the life of all people. For just as through the disobedience of one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. This is through Christ. And this is what my buddy Martin Luther calls the great exchange. And this is the most beautiful thing. And he explains it. I don't have a lot of, I've got a couple of quotes from him, but not necessarily on this aspect. What, that's what he's talking about, right? That we bring to the table sin. And he doesn't just forgive us. He then credits to us the righteousness of his son. It's this great exchange. That's not just bad for neutral it's bad for unbelievable, unbelievable, abundant blessing. It's a great exchange. There's no other word for it. And then finally, how do we get this? It's by grace. It's only by grace. We don't do anything to earn this. We can't do anything to earn this. Ephesians chapter two talks about how we've been saved by grace through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works. I can't do anything, why? So no one can boast. It is a gift of God. You are saved by grace through faith, and that faith is a gift of God. It's not, you're not saved by works. That God gives us 
faith. So I can't even, I can't even muster up, like when I'm standing in the presence of God, of saying, yeah, you know what, I, I was really, I was pretty smart for believing in you, wasn't I? Right? He's like, no, 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 remember, remember when I said I, I gave you that faith? It's only by grace. Every, everything is grace. Second point that I want to bring up is adoption. This is, this, this is fun for me. I don't get to just spend a whole message preaching on the gospel. It's kind of fun for me this week. Sorry if I'm like, I'm getting a little amped up. Uh, I like this. I like this stuff. Uh, adoption. All right. What does this mean? Man, there's so many amazing implications here, but, I, but we, they just got done singing this. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. Now, my condition is slavery. Slavery to fear, slavery to sin, slavery to the law. And the father of the world says, come. Come into my presence. Let me embrace you. I'm a child of God. I don't need to act like an outsider anymore. There's so many implications of this. I don't need to be defensive about someone pointing out sin in my life and, and get worked up about it. No, that wasn't me. I, well, I didn't really mean that. If you just knew the heart of it and instead welcome people pointing out sin so I can beg for their forgiveness, so I can enter into the presence of God Almighty and say, God, I want to be like Jesus. That's the response of a child. I don't have to worry about trying to impress people or trying to impress God. I simply just get to go to acceptance. I don't have to rely on how good I was and obeying the rules and, and being a good kid. I have to rely on how good he is. I don't have to rely on my own works, but I have to rely on his finished work. That's what adoption means. And then finally, in this section, we're not done yet, <laughs> glorified. We're not glorified yet. We're not there. The, the phrase that we use, and we've used it several times, is the already not yet. But Jesus won the victory. He, he died for my sins. He paid for my sins. He removed my sins as far as the east is from the west. But we're not there yet. We're not in glory yet. But someday that's coming, and someday we will be glorified. We will be sinless just as Christ is sinless. We will become truly human like the truly human one. So now I want to walk through Romans chapter 3, most of it at least, uh, verses 9 through 31. You have it on your handout if you grabbed one on the way in. And I want to walk through this. This is what Martin Luther calls the center of the gospel, the center of Scripture. This portion we're going to look at is, is so deep and rich. Uh, I, I actually I debated in my mind for like five seconds. I was like, man, I should just find one of Luther's old sermons and just try to like memorize it and just stand up here and just bring the gospel of Luther from Romans chapter three. And I was like, eh, I think they'll, they'll realize that's not me real fast. Uh, so I didn't, I didn't do that, but, but I will quote him a few times. Okay, so let's, let's start here. What shall we conclude then? Do we, okay, so context here. Do we, he's talking about the Jews, uh, just in the verses before saying that the Jews, do they have any benefit? Do they have any, any advantage? Right? And he's like, yes, in every, every way, right? They, they've been given the law that God showed up. We just spent 33 weeks going through the book of Exodus where God shows up in their presence over and over and over and forgives them over and over and over. He says, yeah, they have a lot of advantages. But he says, what shall we conclude then? Do we, the Jews, have any advantages? Not at all. 
right? He, he says, no, we, we don't have any advantages. Why? Because we've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are under the power of sin. Every human being, every single one of them is under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. And there is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves and their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers on their lips and their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And he goes on saying here, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sins. If you're in here tonight, if you grew up the way I did, I grew up in a, in a religious home, and we sing this song. I actually think it's, it's uh, Martin Luther's rendition of Psalm uh, 90 or one something that we sing. 95, whatever. Doesn't matter. He says this. I worked my fingers down to the bone, and nothing I did could ever atone. That's our condition. And like me and like Luther, there might be some of you in here who say, man, I have, I have tried so hard to earn God's favor. Yeah, I, I pray, I, I, keep, I do my devotions, I keep a journal, I'm kind to people around me, and all I want is his acceptance. And what he's saying is, I've already given it to you. Just accept it. Just have faith, just believe. You can't do anything. You can't even have your own faith. Pray for more faith, his faith. Luther says this. This is from Luther's commentary in Rome, uh, Run Romans. You must get used to this idea. You must get used to the idea that it is one thing to do the works of the law and quite another to fulfill it. All right, what he's saying, he's going back to Paul there who just said, okay, all this law, that if you're going to live under the law and seek your own righteousness under the law, then you better do it perfectly. Completely, 100%. And what Luther is saying here, yeah, even if you could do it perfectly, uh, guess what, you can't. Why? Because of our fallen human condition. He says this, the works of the law are everything that a person does or can do of his own free will and by his own powers to obey the law. But because in doing such works, the heart abhors the law and yet is forced to obey it. The works are a total loss and completely useless. Even our best thing of just, I'm gonna obey so I can, I can be in God's presence. I'm gonna obey so I can be made righteous. Just my heart's attitude towards that is bent to evil. Because I abhor it. I don't wanna do this. I, it reminded me of just like homework. There might be people in here who love, love homework, love schoolwork. I, I wasn't one of them. All right, and thinking, okay, you've got this assignment. It's gotta get done. And what do you do? You do it. Because you don't wanna fail. That's, that's what's happening. That's what Paul is saying. That's what, that's what Luther's saying. You've got the laws. And if you're just doing it to do it, just doing it to get by, just doing it to get a good grade and impress God or impress your teacher, 
doesn't work that way. Now with God, it doesn't. It's useless. That is what St. Paul means in chapter 3 when he says, no human being is justified before God through the works of the law. From this, you can see that the schoolmasters and sophists, these are the leftists religiously of that day, if you can think of it, are seducers when they teach that you can prepare yourself for grace by means of works, okay? That there were people, and there still are people today, that say that if I do good works, if I do these good things, that in, that in by doing those good works, then I will get to a position where God will give me that faith. It will move me to faith. That's not what Paul teaches. It's not by works. It's only by faith. He says, how can anybody prepare himself for good by means of works if he does no good work except with aversion and constraint in his heart? How can such a work please God if it proceeds from an adverse and unwilling heart? And it's only when I'm forgiven and God moves me to a position that my feeble, weak attempts to please God actually are pleasing. The same way that when my son paints a, a picture, he doesn't know how to paint, he doesn't know how to palette, he just starts painting, and I go, wow, that's beautiful. I'm gonna hang that up in my office. Is it beautiful? No. But it comes from my son, and so therefore it is. It's the same with our works. They're beautiful in his eyes when we do it from faith, not from work. Going back to Romans. But, this is, a, this is a good one. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. All right? Something's changed. To which the law and the prophets testify. We just spent, again, 33 weeks looking every single week saying, here's the law. This is what it says about Jesus. Here's this sacrifice. Here's what it says about Jesus. Here's the Passover. Here's what it says about Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. And he's saying right here, the, the law and the prophets testify about this. This righteousness is given through faith in Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace, not by works, through the redemption that comes by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. And if you were here through the Exodus series, that should ring bells over and over. The, the shedding of the blood and the spilling of the blood and the sprinkling of the blood. It couldn't be a bull or a goat or a lamb. It had to be the truly human one, the son of God, God, man himself in the flesh. It had to be. Because the blood of bulls don't take away sins. Only Christ. He had to write himself into the story to forgive us. And so when you study the book of Romans, in our culture, in our context, I think a lot of people, when they read the Bible, ask the question, which is a good question, how can a loving God send anybody to hell? And what the Apostle Paul is doing in the book of Romans is saying, how in the world does a just God allow anybody to come into his presence? Because that doesn't make sense. And this is what he's saying here. It had to be through the blood of Jesus and then to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Every sin before Christ was unpunished, waiting for the sacrifice. And he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. Why? Here. So that he can be just 
but yet also the one who justifies those who have faith in him. He's both just and the justifier. That he's the one who gets to make the rules. And his rule is just have faith. Just believe. Finally, he says this. Where then is boasting? It's excluded. Because of what? Law? The law that requires works? No. Because of the law that requires faith. I can't boast if I'm saved by faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. And since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith, do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Wait, what? I'm confused. I thought, I thought it was that nothing to do with the law. He says, rather we uphold the law. Luther uh, gives some really good insight on this. That is why faith alone makes someone just and fulfills the law. Faith, it is that brings the Holy Spirit through the merits of Christ, and the Spirit in turns renders the heart glad and free as the law demands. The good works proceed from the faith itself. That is what Paul means in chapter three, when after he has thrown out the works of the law, he sounds as though he wants to abolish the law by faith. No, he says, we uphold the law through faith. We fulfill it through faith. That after I receive this good gift from Christ, then now it should move me to good works. It should move me to want to be more like Jesus. The final point I have here is shame-free. The fancy name for this is expiation. That when God sees me because he has removed my sin and I am now clothed in his righteousness, that I am his bride is another example that's given, that he is my mediator. He's standing there with me so that when the just one looks at me, I am justified because I'm with Christ. And so therefore, my previous sins that I've committed, even the previous sins that have been committed against me, that I might say, this is who I am, this is my identity, no shame, not in Christ. Your sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. That's who our God is. And it reminded me of the prodigal son. The story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. I'm going to read it very quickly. But one, one question I want to answer, though, is, is who's he talking to? Okay, so you got to remember, Jesus is, is coming now into Jerusalem, and there's two groups of people. On one side, you've got the Pharisees. They're the religious leaders who are working their fingers down to the bone to be forgiven by an almighty, holy God. And then there's another group of people that are just called the sinners, and in that group, which it was actually a classification for people, that the Pharisees would say, oh, you're a sinner. Why? Oh, because you're a Jew who's not a practicing Jew. So you're in the class of a sinner, right? Tax collectors, treasons, people who committed treason against their, their own people because they're collecting the, the, the collections and taxes for the Roman citizens, uh, uh, prostitutes, 
And people who were just uh, had disabilities of any kind of form, they were just categorized as sinners. You got a deformity, well, that was, that's because you sinned, or your parents sinned. That's the groups of people. He shares this story. There's a man who once had two sons. And the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to feed his pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and I am here starving to death. I will set out and I will go back to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went with his father, went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion and he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and kissed him. That's our condition. Our condition is, God, screw you. I'm gonna do my thing. So we leave and we do our own thing. And then when we come back to him, because we're all in the sinner category, he welcomes you. I want to read, um, I knew all day this was going to happen to me. I was, uh, <laughs> this morning, uh, I'm, I, uh, uh, the last thing I do for any sermon prep, not, not that you care, but is, is the illustrations. I, it doesn't come fast to me. Sometimes it's on the spot, <laughs> which you can tell when I usually do that. Um, sometimes they're premeditated and they're usually pretty bad. Um, and, and I just, I just all week, I just, man, I, don't, I can't think of a good, and this morning, uh, this song popped in my head, and I got uh, emotional just thinking about it, and, and I didn't, you know, I wasn't crying, I, you know, it wasn't even as bad as what you just <laughs> witnessed, but I, I walked into the bathroom, and Angela was like, are you okay, were you just crying? I was like, man, really? I was like, I, no. I was like, what's the matter? I was like, I just thought of an illustration to use tonight. I just, I'm fine, right? And, and I, so I want to read the lyrics to this song. It's it's by a group called uh, Flannel Graph, okay, like if you remember from your childhood, some of you, the Flannel Graph. So it's Flannel Graph, and the song is called Apple Pie. But it's this song in beautiful artistic form. She says this, I told my dad I didn't love him anymore. <laughs> Sorry. All right, we're gonna make it through this. Uh, I grabbed all the cash, and I ran and slammed, oh, boy, this is bad. I ran and slammed the door. I spent it like a movie star. I spent it right in all the bars. And I was so hungry and so thirsty. And the ladies, they adored me. And the men all wished to be me. They burned with their jealousy. I had everything that a man should buy, a man like me should buy. And I lived like a king in America with apple pie. But my heart was small. And my world was smaller than before. And my fence was tall to keep out the people who were wanting more. 
I knew a girl, Katie was her name, and she was quite the whirlwind. And she wanted to state my claim. And she said, oh, baby, oh, maybe you and me could get married. And we'll settle down. And we'll bury all the warrants in our history. But all the party lights went out. And I was left alone. And the amount of money that I had was the amount of money I was shown. I had nothing. I had nothing. I had nothing. I had nothing. And he, she says, No. I had somebody. So I gathered up my pride and I hitchhiked to a town where my dignity had died. And he was waiting. And he ran and he kissed me. I'm okay in Jesus. Not because of, I'm, I'm okay because of Jesus. Are you justified? Do you realize all that that holds in Christ? Has Christ taken your sins and given you his righteousness? If not, I beg of you, put your faith in Christ. Are you adopted? Do you realize that you are a son, you are a daughter of the most high God? Do you know how forgiven you really are? We need to be reminded of this all the time. And so, like every time and every week here at Lower Town, we get to taste and see that the Lord is good. We're going to have the bread and the juice that represents the broken body and the shed blood of Christ. And if you're just a follower of Jesus, all we ask, don't ask that, that you're a member of this church. We just ask that if you are a follower of Christ, come, come to the table that Jesus has prepared for you. Take and eat and see that he is good. And that you are forgiven. You bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you that I am no longer a child of fear. I'm no longer a slave to the law. I'm no longer a, a slave to sin. And I'm a child of God. Thank you. Because I don't deserve it. You are good. Thank you for your blood that was shed for us. Thank you for your body that was broken for us. And so as we take these elements and as we remember what Christ has done, God, would you be honored and glorified as we take these elements, as we lift up our voices one last time to the creator God who is worthy of every good work that we can do and you love it. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen.